Hashem sefasai tiftach Ufiyagin tihinasecha Hashem sefasai tiftach Ufiyagin tihinasecha Hello and welcome to Praying on Purpose. This morning I would like to continue the conversation that we started last week when we introduced the topic of Birchos HaTorah, the brachos that we recite each and every morning in anticipation of the Torah that we will study that day. Each and every morning we recite two brachos, and as I mentioned last week, while they are not necessarily part of davening in any formal sense, they are not structurally part of Tefillah Shachris, we do find them recorded in the Siddur as part of the general grouping of Birchos HaShachar, and so therefore we are going to take the opportunity here in order to review these brachos. Now, first of all, it should be noted that this is the first birchsa mitzvah that we are going to study together. In the past, I believe we have mentioned that there are in halacha three types of brachos. There are birchsa nenin, brachos that we recite before, let's say, eating food, before partaking of something which gives us pleasure. There is a birchsa shevach v'hoda'a, a bracha that is recited in response to having witnessed or experienced something which gives us a sense of joy and satisfaction, a moment in which we appreciate the incredible world in which we live. And then the third category is what's called the Birchsa Mitzvah, a bracha that precedes the performance of a mitzvah. Now, there is a way in which we can clearly identify a Birchsa Mitzvah, so there should be no question in our minds as to whether or not what we are reciting is a Birchsa Mitzvah or not. And that is that the bracha begins, well, as every bracha begins, Baruch Atu Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam, and of course we have spent uh, time discussing each and every one of those words, and then continues with the following formula. Asher that he has sanctified us, he has made us holy with or through his mitzvos, and he has instructed us, and then we say li or al, to or on, the particular mitzvah that we are about to perform. And the Gemara actually teaches that a bracha is to be recited over lasiasan, which means before I perform the mitzvah. There are some very, very rare exceptions to this rule, but by and large, the bracha will always be recited beforehand. Now, before we actually discuss this particular bracha, I think it's worthwhile to note that we do not, in fact, recite a bichsa mitzvah before every mitzvah that we do. When you think about it, there are many mitzvahs that are preceded by a bracha. So, for example, the mitzvah of Nitila Sedayim, when we sit in a sukkah, when we eat matzah. Think of every time we say the words, Asher and there are many examples of mitzvahs that are preceded, the performance of those mitzvahs are preceded by the recitation of a bracha. However, I can think of many mitzvahs that we perform on a regular basis in which we do not recite a bracha beforehand, just to name a few. One of them should be obvious because it's the topic of our discussion here on a regular basis, and that is tefillah. We do not recite a bracha in anticipation or right before we are about to daven. As we've demonstrated in the past, davening to Hashem is a mitzvah sasem in Torah. The Torah says, You would think, therefore, that there would be a bracha beforehand. But we do not have such a bracha. When a person gives tzedakah, they do not recite a bracha. When a person visits the sick, they do not recite a bracha. And so, therefore, it's a little strange that it seems to be, I'll say random, of course, it's not random, as to why it is that certain mitzvahs are preceded by a bracha, whereas others are not. Now, this is a question which is discussed already by some Rishonim, but I'd like to direct you to the explanation 
of the Aruch HaShulchan, who offers us a very fascinating insight, but also provides us with a klal, a rule, which we could use to apply universally, and it help us understand in every situation, why do we recite a bracha here, but we do not recite a bracha elsewhere? And he basically says, we can group mitzvos into one of two categories. There are mitzvos that the Rambam identified as what's called mitzvos sechlios, which means mitzvos that sort of make sense. They appeal to our intellect, that we understand almost intuitively as to why the Torah instructs us to do something like this. And then there are mitzvos which are not sechlios. Perhaps sometimes we would refer to them as chukim, mitzvos that we don't really understand why it is that we are doing it, but we do it anyway because the Torah directs us to do so. And so an example of mitzvah in the latter category would be when it comes to sitting in the sukkah on sukkahs, when it comes to the mitzvah of lighting in their Hanukkah, when it comes to the mitzvah of putting on tzitzah or tefillin, just to name a few, while we are able to speak intelligently, thoughtful, intelligent conversations about the substance of these mitzvahs, and maybe even a little deeper than that, talk about what these mitzvahs do for us and why it may be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has instructed us to do these mitzvahs. We can explore what we call the Tamiya mitzvahs. Ultimately, we do these things because Hashem told us to do so, and we would not have done so otherwise. As opposed to other mitzvahs, which at the end of the day, like I said, they sort of appeal both to our intellect as well as our ethical characters. There is a part of us, each and every one of us, that understands almost intuitively why it is that the Torah tells us to be charitable. Why it is that the Torah tells us to perform acts of kindness on behalf of those who need it? If there's a person who is sick, if there's a person who is somehow disadvantaged, that I should help such an individual. We can even understand why the Torah tells us to pray. And says the Yerach and how do you know whether a mitzvah falls in one of two categories? After all, it is somewhat subjective. How can I prove as to whether or not a mitzvah is a mitzvah sickless or not? So he says, take a look at the world at large. When we find that there are things that we do that sort of conform with what is, I'll say, standard practice in the general society, so although when we do it, we are doing it as a mitzvah, and so therefore it is governed under a different set of principles, these are not necessarily considered to be discretionary acts, they're mitzvah acts, nevertheless we know that we are doing something which sort of conforms to these global standards. So, therefore, when it comes to, like I said, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to performing acts of kindness, these are examples of things that we find non-Jews do as well. We could also apply the same principle when it comes to mitzvahs losase. The Torah says don't steal. The Torah says don't murder. Now, these are laws that are upheld by every civilized society. Now, it must be noted the fact that it is legislated by the Torah does more than just sort of affirm our natural human convictions. There is, and this is not the time to discuss it, there are going to be real, real substantive differences. The entire nature of the mitzvah is different because of the fact that it's coming from Hashem himself. When a mitzvah is the Dvar Hashem, it doesn't just, it's not just an affirmation. It's not something which is sort of confirming our instincts. It means that we are bound by it even when it doesn't appeal to our intellect. Again, a point for another time. But getting back to what we're saying over here, the Yorch HaShulchan says, a mitzvah that we do, that is sort of unique to our experience as Jews, that is what we would describe as a mitzvah, which is not a mitzvah sikhlis. It's not a mitzvah which is, again, naturally appealing to our intellect. And therefore, he says, we will say the words, Asher Kiddushanu B'Mitzvah Because what do those words mean? Asher Kiddushanu B'Mitzvah that you have sanctified us, that you have made us more kadosh. After all, the Torah says, Kedoshim you, that we, Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, are supposed to be kadoshim, lives in which we are separated from the general world population, 
And in this regard, we can declare the words before we put on tzitzis, before we sit in the sukkah, before we eat matzah, and even before we study Torah, we could say the words, Asher Kedeshanu B'Mitzvosav, that you have elevated us, sanctified us through your mitzvos, V'tzivanu, and you have instructed us to do whatever the particular mitzvah that we are about to perform may be. However, when it comes to a mitzvah such as the mitzvah of tzedakah, the mitzvah of visiting somebody who is sick, the mitzvah of prayer, just to name a few examples, we are not going to say, God, you have sanctified us through your mitzvahs and instructed us to, because after all, it is not evident, at least on the surface, as to why this particular act sets me aside from my non-Jewish neighbors. It is not evident, again, on the surface. Beneath the surface, there are going to be some very, very significant differences. And so therefore, the Yerach HaShulchan says that the bracha that is recited before a mitzvah is reserved for situations where the act itself is so clearly unique. There is something which is fundamentally different about this type of service because it is not something that we find that the other nations of the world perform. And if you use this klal, if you use this rule, so then it will work across the board. Uh, essentially, with this rule, we should be able to figure out on our own as to whether or not a particular mitzvah has a bracha beforehand. In many cases, we may know the answer to that question, but we may not. Now, there may be some tricky situations. So, for example, the Orach HaShulchan actually mentions this at the very end of Chosh Mishpat, where he talks about the mitzvah of Makkah, where the Torah says that we should create a fence around our flat rooftops so that somebody who's walking there does not fall off. So, the Orach HaShulchan records of their debate as to whether or not a bracha is recited, and he believes that it comes down to this very question. Is the need to place a fence for security on top of your roof, is this a mitzvah sikhlis? Is this something which naturally just sort of appeals to the intellect? Of course, anybody would do it. It conforms with local zoning laws. Or is the Torah telling us to go above and beyond? Or is there something special and unique about this mitzvah? And again, the practical difference may be, do we recite a bracha beforehand? Okay, so this is very interesting background to the concept of Birchus HaMitzvot in general, but I think it relates to the bracha that we are going to recite before we study Torah. And that is when you think about it, based on the rule that we just said, why should there be a bracha that we recite before the study of Torah? After all, many, many people in the world appreciate the value in education. Libraries have existed for many, many, many centuries, stocked with volumes upon volumes of information and literature Educational systems are set up in every community around the world. We value education, the pursuit of knowledge, the study of important texts. And so therefore, what is it about the study of Torah that makes it somewhat of a unique enterprise? And of course, there could be many, many answers to this question, but I think that the key to this is embedded within the very, very words of this brach itself. And that is, we begin with the words, Asher Kedeshanu B'Mitzosa V'Tzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Sora. The bracha does not say, Lilmod divrei Torah. If it were merely a bracha that were recited before the study of Torah, if I'm about to study something, learn something, and I say a bracha beforehand, so then you're right. There is nothing so unique about this act. After all, there are many people in the world who go to the library to study. There are many, many people who read books at home. There are many people who research interesting, relevant topics on the internet. So what is it about Torah, the study of Torah, that makes it unique? And the answer is la'asok, which means to immerse oneself in the study of Torah. It means to engage in Torah in a way that it becomes a very, very significant preoccupation. There is a commitment to the study of Torah which goes way beyond that which we typically find within the world at large. And this may be for several reasons, but I think there's at least one which deserves highlighting. 
And that is that when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge in general, it is often something that we do in order to achieve some other means. So if you think about in an educational setting, one will study in order to be able to pass their exams. They will want to pass their exams so that they can proceed to the next level to graduate, to have some degree, to obtain a license in order to be able to earn a livelihood. Uh, There may be other individuals who are just naturally curious about a certain topic. A person wants to learn how to lead a more healthy lifestyle and decides, you know what, I'm going to take out a few books and to learn more about nutrition. I'm not interested in becoming a nutritionist, but I want to understand why it is that certain types of foods contain certain nutritional elements which are better for me than others. So the, the purpose of the study at hand is in order to bring me to a place of greater understanding. It is the information itself that is of the greatest value. When a person studies Torah, of course, there is the intellectual pursuit. There is the desire to learn and to study and to know and to grow in order to be an educated Jew, in order to know how to perform the mitzvahs according to the halacha. Of course, there's value and there's a purpose in studying Torah for such reasons and more. However, ultimately, when we are studying Torah, we are being osik. We are being osik b'divrei Torah because we are looking to connect with the author. Because we understand that when we study Torah, we are connecting with the Rabbonu Shalom. We are becoming closer with the Rabbonu Shalom. As somebody once said, when we daven, we are speaking to Hashem, and when we study Torah, He is speaking to us. The idea of being osek b'divrei Torah means that I am showing almost an obsessive interest in getting to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu better. I want to understand God. Not only because this pursuit will enable me to become a more educated Jew and a more functional Jew. Again, these are all important objectives. But the primary objective is I'm studying Torah because this is a way for me to attach myself to the Rabbonu Shalom. Chazal speak about the importance of studying Torah Lishma, which on the most surface level means for Torah's sake. But that's really what that means. I'm not studying because it will bring me to another point. I'm not studying because of the fact that I want to be more knowledgeable so that I can then go ahead and teach it, which is true, or so that I can be functionally literate, which is true. To be osik in the study of Torah Lishma means because God has told me to do so, and I recognize, I appreciate from the very experience itself, that when I study Torah, I become closer to the Rabboni Shalom. It cements that relationship. And that's what it means, Asher Kedushan, Vitzivanu La'asok in this regard, it is very different than the pursuit of knowledge in general, which would explain why it is that we recite a bracha beforehand. Because as we pointed out, we do not recite a bracha before we pray. We do not recite a bracha before we give tzedakah. We do not recite a bracha before we honor our parents. Because these are activities that we find in many, many world communities. These are things that other people do, not only Jews. But our study of Torah is not comparable to what would seem on the surface to be a very similar experience of going to the library and researching a topic. When you see people that are studying Torah, debating Bechavrus and base Medrash, pouring over the text, arguing, this is not the tzura, this is not the format that we find people studying, let's say, in med school. Again, also of great importance, but it's a different type of experience. Over there, it is merely the knowledge that I am looking to acquire, and the pursuit of that knowledge is to bring me to the next step, to the next level. Over here, the goal is la'asok b'divrei Torah. And I'll conclude with one other point. This could also explain why it is that when it comes to the study of Torah, the mitzvah ultimately is amelos b'Torah, which means the effort, the toil. It matters much more 
than what it is that I walk away with. And I want to be very, very careful what I say here, and this is something I have to come back to another time. Of course, it's important that I walk away with information. And I'm not suggesting that as long as you go ahead and read words, that's all that matters, whether you understand it or not. Of course not. But when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge in general, you know, if you understand what you're reading, great. And if you don't, well, we would even say maybe you just wasted your time. That's not true when it comes to the study of Torah. Over there, we say that there's a kiyum and the amelos alone. The effort, the engagement in the study of Torah is something that in and of itself has value, and that is a kiyum. That is a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And so therefore, as we conclude today's discussion, we've only started this bracha. The bracha continues with the words vaharevna. It doesn't end with the words lasok b'divrei Torah. If you were hearing somebody say those words, asher kedushanam b'tzvotsavetzivonu lasok b'divrei Torah, you would not recite amen at that point. You would have to wait until they concluded the bracha later. We'll get to that another time. But just know that as we have started discussing this bracha, that word lasok really defines the very, very essence of this very unique mitzvah and will hopefully provide us with greater insight as we recite this bracha each and every day. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Oh, it is.